welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, is the rookie, Mr. Chris Dashu. I know I might be pedantic and some people may not like me, but I do what I can. That's very true. I've gotten comments like that on iTunes. <laughs> you two are pedantic. <laughs> God. Man, Steve Landisberg, just every time we do this show, his stock is rising. Every time. Might even say Ron Carey's stock is rising a little bit. A little, not a lot. It's like a penny stock. On this episode, we're talking about three of the original episodes of Barney Miller. We're on season four, and we're talking about the episodes Tunnel, which was released December 1st, 1977, Atomic Bomb from December 15th, 1977, and The Bank from January 5th, 1978, breaking into 1978 with this one. There we are. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, This woman wants to fuck Steve Landisberg. Big surprise, right? I think you just pretty much admitted to it, too. Sex icon, Steve Landisberg. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, yeah. Uh, Most of the people on the show are good-looking, aside from Ron Carey. James Gregory's even got a little daddy vibes, you know, a little bit. I mean, J- I mean, Luger's character, I guess, is gay, might be gay. Maybe. Maybe. He definitely gets taught a lesson in one of these episodes. Yeah, boy, doesn't he? Boy, doesn't he? But not the, not the one we're about to talk about. No, I don't think that he shows up in these first two, which is a shame. It's not. He does not. No, not just credit only. Well, in The Tunnel... Believe it or not, but there's a tunnel involved. There's also a outage of the phones. There's also some spiritual debate going on because there's a horse in the paper called Pick Me Nick. And Nick takes that as a sign from God that he needs to get this horse. But, uh, oh, he's being interrupted from calling his bookie by Barney coming in. And uh, that's what delays us learning that the phones have been out for 45 minutes or so. And then there's also the B plot of, I guess, kind of like a subtle dig at Welcome Back, Cotter, with the uh, Jay Gerber playing the teacher who's at his wit's end, and then the (laughs) the hilarious Leonard Stone, who uh, everybody knows, I guess, as um, Viola Beauregard's father from, yeah, I was going to say Veruca Salt, but that's that's a similar character actor-wise, just as recognizable. But yeah, he's great in this. I haven't seen him like anything else, other than... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, he is awesome in this, and I love that he's just as crazy, if not crazier, than the teacher who's gone nut. Kind of playing the same character, too. Yeah, he kind of is. They're both basically cut from the same cloth. He's great. He's really funny. They give him a lot of time for somebody who shows up in the last third of the episode. I mean, they give him a, they give him a fair amount of screen time, too, which is nice. I mean, obviously, again, they make a lot of Welcome Back, Cotter jabs, you know. I hate that show. And then he's singing the theme song. He's saying, you know, what if, you know, if he were in my school district, he would be hung upside down. You know, stuff like that. You know, saying how, like, that show isn't real because I'm living that real life of a high school teacher in New York. It's it's funny. I mean, it's not that it hasn't aged well or anything, but it's like, it's topical. Oh, yeah. For 1977, that's right on point. 2022, not so much. But hey, if you know what Welcome Back, Cotter is, the joke still lands. When he first made the reference, I was like, is that a Welcome Back, Cotter joke? And then he removed all doubt when he started singing the song. And look, they were both shooting on the same lot at the same time. 
We've all seen the picture of the Welcome Back Cotter kids in the 12th Precinct jail cell as well. So Yeah, I was kind of hoping that the Sweat Hogs would show up in this one. I honestly would love to have seen the two shows crossover because it makes perfect sense, right? Like, if the shows were being made now, in 2022, like, they wouldn't miss that opportunity. Network television now is like, how can we tie these things together to get crossover appeal, right? Like, on a special episode of Barney Miller, like... There's that Chicago Medical, Chicago Police, and Chicago Fire, like, all three in one night. It's like, okay, guys, and then all those NCISs and Laws and Orders and all that. It's like, we're gonna... Think about stuff like Sabrina and Riverdale, stuff like that. I mean, it's like, that's network TV and Netflix, like, those are, you know what I mean? Like, they make, figured out how to make it work. Like, in this day and age, a show like that and, a sh- you know, a show like Welcome Back, Cotter and a show like Barney Miller would have had a crossover episode. It's, like, inevitable. It's just inevitable. Because so many other shows, like you've mentioned, have had crossover episodes. You know, think of the X-Files. Didn't the, X- the X-Files crossover with The Simpsons, for fuck's sake? That's a technical, actual crossover. Technically, they're playing the same characters. They're playing Mulder and Scully. I mean, just think about that. And they made that work in the 90s. Like, come on. Same studio. Different production companies. But even though the Welcome Back Cotter kids aren't in here, which I think would have been funny, because here's the, this was the one opportunity, right? I still think the episode's funny. I think the Wojo stuff is a little bit underserved, though. Strangely, given that it's the title of the episode. It's bad, too, because Wojo actually seems to be really into it. When the episode opens, his conversation with Nick is very interesting, and I just like that it feels like Max Gale is really in his own at the beginning of this episode, and then, yeah, he leaves, and then he's really not supposed to come back, and then when he does, he's a little messed up, let's say. A little loopy. Yeah, because he's had a near-death experience. Now he's starting to have all these like spiritual doubts. This is not where he is talking about how broke he is now that he's on the sergeant's salary. I think that's another one that we'll discuss. But I like how present Max Gale was at the beginning of this and watching him clean his gun and kind of bust Nick's chops a little bit. I liked it. I feel like we've kind of missed out on his character recently. He hasn't been as around. I don't know why that would have been maybe just letting the other actors who are now on the show, giving them a little bit more screen time, not diverting as much attention away. Cause I mean, you keep him away for stuff and you give them a bigger presence. So maybe that's what it was, but I'm, I like where they're going with his character. It's a far cry from the first season of the show. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be playing the, in his words, dumb Pollock character. Right. We definitely see a lot of the teacher and the principal, but we're not really seeing J.J. Barry as the thief who is the one that's tunneling into the, what is it, the jewelry store that uh, sends Wojo and Levitt on their way. Honestly, I was expecting if Ron Carey wasn't in the show, it could have been his character from before, right? Yeah, exactly. In the mole. The mole man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Great character. Mole man strikes again. But great character actor, J.J. Barry. That plot line just felt really underserved. I don't know. I like the Welcome Back Cotter character arc thing that they had going on. But I think for the, the actual, like, robber stuff, I don't know. They, they When Max Gale comes back and they're talking about, like, 
you know, like Landisberg keeps interrupting him and stuff. It's weird because that's like it's funny, but I, it's strange. It's a strange way of writing that character because they're supposed to make us like we're, we are supposed to like that character of Landisberg. And he, he goes a little far in that scene where it's like interrupting Max Gale's like who's been dead, essentially. Was this the episode where Landisberg and Glass had been out on the stakeout? Isn't that what opens the episode? The two of them walk, or he walks in slow after him. This is where Harris first is like, I'm not going to stay with that guy. I mean, ends up paying off two episodes down the line. But yeah, this is the first appearance of Harris is homeless. Though he was searching for an apartment in one of the previous episodes we talked about. So it's kind of neat that we've got a little carryover going on here it's been kind of a a minor arc of this season i mean it's not something that they've like put a lot of time into but it's come up in a lot of conversations at least and it's definitely been harris's kind of driving force at least for the first i guess we're almost at the halfway point of the season right so first half of the season well let's move on to atomic bomb which i was surprised that fish doesn't come back in this episode and save us all from the bomb that's uh hanging out on nick's desk where is Fish? I'm glad we get to see John Getz, though. I was, like, trying to place who he was. I was like, John Getz, John Getz. Oh, yeah, it's John Getz, a very young John Getz. What do you know John Getz from? What's your What's your John Getz pull of the day? I kept thinking that he was Peter McNichol. Is that who I'm thinking of? Remember the guy from Ghostbusters? Uh, yes, yes. We await the word of ego. That guy? Oh, actually, well, what I'm doing is I'm mixing up John gets with the guy that actually created the bomb. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. John gets as in the uh, the FBI guy. Right, right. Okay, so I was mixing him up with James Thayer. I was mixing John gets up with Will Seltzer. I guess because we have two people that have a uh, E T Z type of com- yeah, combination right. in there. Oh, Jesus. John Getz for me is Zodiac and the Fly. John Getz for me is the Fly and Blood Simple. What a great character. I mean, like, kind of an icky character, but great performance from, from John Getz. He's good here, right? He's not given much to do. Other than just kind of be a pain in Barney's ass. It's like it's really clicking into place seeing him as an older person. Because it took me a minute yesterday where I was like, Oh, yeah, he was in The Fly. Okay. And then I looked at the name and I was like, yeah, all right, I know that character. And then it's finally today, I'm like, oh, shit, he looks totally different from one to the other. He also reminded me of a very pompous Martin Mull in The Fly. Oh, yeah. What a what a welcome addition to that movie. But what a, what a, what a grisly, what a, not demise, I guess, but boy, if you've never oh, seen The Fly, boy. you don't know what happens to his character. He gets wrecked. Pretty nasty. None of that in this though, but some but some science shenanigans here. This is probably there's like a story, this is like a real story, right? Like a kid actually did this in the seventies or something. You would get that in movies coming up. I mean, this was end of seventy seven, the very end of seventy seven, and you're gonna get like, you know, Matthew Broderick putting the world in peril, all of these, you know, science young scientists who don't know what they're doing with their power. This was in the vein of that. Where it's like, he built an actual bomb. It's like, you can't build a functional bomb without the fissionable material. 
Thank God. And with that, I mean, you really should probably go out to your local Twin Pines Mall and wait for the Lebanese to show up with their fissionable, or sorry, Libyans to show up with their fissionable material, because they like to the do Lebanese that. The Lebanese would show up with Richard with the kibbe. They'd be like, we're here with the kibbe. Richard would be like, I'm here to buy all of it. But I guess my question is, they take it, and they take it, and they put it in the Indiana Jones bunker from the first movie, and they say, you know, we're taking this top secret classified we have does, top does men kid, working on kid, it. Yeah, exactly. Does the kid get an A? <laughs> Here's your note from the FBI saying we took your atomic bomb away. I would hope he gets an automatic A. Yeah. My favorite part of that whole thing is Carl Bruck as Dr. Reinhold Bauer, who obviously is a former Nazi scientist. <laughs> right. Operation pa- like Barney Miller makes an Operation Paperclip joke. That's a real thing in this episode. It's great. That was fantastic. I love how he's just like, can you imagine if we had come up with that first? And then (laughs) Seltzer's like, we did. We did. Oh, right. We did now. (laughs) We did now, right? (laughs) Oh, that no, that was fantastic. That was the funniest bit in the entire episode. That and and the the thumbnail on IMDb does the scene justice, but getting to see Jack Sue with his sunglasses on staring at that bomb is so groovy and wild. Jackson was a man with some real style. Some real style. Also, I like when Mr. Swanson shows up. The good, the good humor man's here. Oh, my <laughs> the God. The good humor man's here. That was so good. Oh, my God. So strange that we have two episodes in a row. This one and the next one where they're talking about frozen things. That must have been in the air at the same time as well. So, yeah. The uh, Metropolitan New York Cryonic Society. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Phil Leeds wanting to get frozen, right? He wants to get frozen. His wife is very concerned about that. It's kind of, we've seen similar uh, storylines to this. But man, what a face on this guy. He's shown up. Holy shit. He's shown up two other times before, and he's going to show up after this four more times. That face. (laughs) In this show. So, man, yeah. Phil Leeds just like, kind of like an old Don Knotts. But he's got a good look. He's got a great voice. Just like a harried man about town. That's what he looks like a harried man. Like a whole, like just a man who's constantly in a rush. That's what he looks like. And you, you can tell when his character's on screen that he's always beaten down. <laughs> just from his look. He always just looks beaten down. This show is making me want to go back and rewatch History of the World Part 1 so bad. Because... Telling you, it's such a good movie. J.J. Barry, who we just talked about. The tunnel robber in the last episode, Phil Leeds in this episode, he's in there. I mean, there's so many great faces that are all in History of the World Part 1, and we're always talking about the great faces that are on here. Ron Carey's in History of the World Part 1 as like a main character in one of the uh, in one of the segments. He's in the Roman segment with Gregory Hines. He's great. That movie's great. That movie's really fun. Jews in space, that's a great little thing at the end. The Spanish Inquisition stuff's great. Torquemada, you can't Torquemada anything. Oh, it's a great movie. That's a great movie. And I'm trying to remember what's going on. There's definitely more apartment talk in this one. Yeah, it feels like everybody else is on the, like, it's Barney and then John Getz seems to be kind of the focus of this episode. Phil Leeds is given a lot more time than you would think as the B plot, because it's almost like, neck and neck with the a plot in a lot of ways it's they're it's given a lot of time <laughs> because they bring in they have they they bring then they bring in the guy who, the mr swanson character too because that's it it's only the bomb and the frozen guy that's it 
That's it. There's nothing else. And Mr. Swanson and one of the FBI guys are going back and forth about like science and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one makes weapons. The other one's trying to preserve life and they see each other as quacks. And will life be able to exist in the future? Well, it won't even exist now, possibly. Yeah. They're very heavy moment on Barney Miller. (laughs) Still dealing with that now. So here's looking at you. Eastern European conflicts. Jeez, everybody, calm down. You, as a Ukrainian, as a child of a Ukrainian immigrant, I take offense to everything that's going on right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's. I think it's a fun episode. I mean, the atomic bomb stuff, again, this is based off of a story that's happened. I know, I mean, I don't remember exactly, but it is based off of kind of like a kid built an atomic reactor in his garage. So they kind of take it the understandable television sitcom step further, and it's an atomic bomb as opposed to a reactor, so. But it really generates power. It's lighting this room right now. I like this episode. This is a fun one. A lot of good character actors in it, too. Well, and speaking of character actors, I was very happy to see John LaMotta in the next episode, the uh, nephew of Jake LaMotta, and uh, uh, one of the people that I mostly know from ALF in the few times I ever watched ALF. Hey, Willie, can I eat some cats? That's a fucking weird-ass show, man. <laughs> a cat a cat eating alien, that's what it is, right? But his name is Gordon Shumway, because he's from Melmac. Sure. <laughs> Boy, let's get into ALF lore real quick. <laughs> I, I, when cast. I saw that last... <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, rope Richard in for that one. I When I saw the last name Lamada, I had to look up if that's who that was, and it is, obviously. But that I was like, that guy kind of doesn't look familiar, but kind of does, right? He looks similar to someone else, much more famous, is, the, is really what it is. Well, and then Peter Jurassic, the guy that plays the, the man whose sperm is ruined in a uh, sperm bank disaster... I think most people know him from, what is it, Farscape? I think he was in that. He's also in Tron. Also in Tron. Uh, to me, he looked a lot like, um, is it Victor Gardenia, I think is the guy that I'm thinking oh, of? I have no idea. I just like Peter Jurassic's nose. He's got like one of those great profiles when you see him from the side. He's got like very like angular, like, it's like, man, you've got a, he's got a great profile and, and like, Man, if you've got a great profile, that's like half of the that's like half of it in Hollywood, man. If you just look interesting, put a camera on this person. Look at John Lamada. Just an interesting looking guy. Yeah, and it was Vincent Gardinia I was thinking of. That's what he looks like in this episode, but usually not when I see him in other things. Is this the one that opens with the hobo? That they're all talking about how much he stinks? <laughs> or did we already did we already miss that opportunity to talk about the hobo who smelled? Gosh, I totally forgot about that character. I didn't think that he was a hobo. I thought that he worked in sewage. Oh, is that what it was? I could be wrong. Was that last episode? I think that might have been the last episode, but I'm trying to remember how that plays into it. Because he comes in and he is warning them about something. Oh, he's warning them about the the kid's apartment. That weird stuff's going on in this kid's apartment. And he's the one that's building the bomb. Good memory. 
Oh, yeah. How did we miss that? Is that Mr. Seldes, then? Yes. Yes, it is. The guy who plays Don Cunio in Third Godfather movie? The guy who gets stabbed to death in the chair? Yeah, that's a good one. That's the guy. But, yeah, he smells bad. How did we miss that? Man, what a kind of... That's a, a, that's a cheap gag. <laughs> that's why, because it's a cheap gag. <laughs> when I saw The Bank, this is not what I thought The Bank was going to be about. No, no. I thought it was going to be a sequel to The Tunnel. It goes through the tunnel after it comes from the bank. So, no, we are talking about sperm banks in this. And, of course, very, very funny thing to talk about sperm banks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> in, in that day and age, ha, 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 sperm is, your sperm melted. What? <laughs> Hilarious, I guess. Yeah, and this is, you know, probably... I mean, the way that Dietrich is explaining it towards the end of the episode, it's like they've never heard of, you know, in vitro fertilization or um, some sort of ungodly creation upon the face of man. Like, oh, my God, in vitro. What? I was like, what the fuck? What are we getting all what are we all getting so upset about here? Oh, you're breaking the laws of nature. 78. It's 78. Like, that feels late. It does trying to remember when the first test tube baby was july 25th 1978 that's your birthday mike louise joy brown the first baby to be con- conceived via in vitro fertilization holy shit i know that's not your real birthday your real birthday is much closer to mine <laughs> no wonder it was such voodoo here because they hadn't done it yet well how were they talking about it in the show then I think they were talking about it being theoretical. Allegedly, Your Honor. We can allegedly invite. Okay. Interesting. Huh. I guess the climate at the time must have been like this. What a revolution for childless couples. Just think, at some point, might even be gay couples. Blow their minds in 78. <laughs> Yeah, this this episode's really this episode's really strange. In in that context, now that I know that, I should have looked that up. Uh, man, it's even weirder now. They're just freezing it, just cause. Talking a little bit about motility, and I think the woman that runs the sperm bank is really into uh, Wojo. Fine, strapping man like you should come on down and make a deposit. But of course, he has no idea. He thinks it's talking about a real bank. I think that's the biggest joke of the episode. I thought the biggest joke of the episode was how hard Jody Mann wanted Steve Landisberg's hot, hot action. That had me <laughs> cracking up. <laughs> so the, the, the gag is they say that, hey, what's going to happen is if you can't, you know, if you, if you can't figure out how to get more sperm out of him, which obviously is the case, try to look for someone who looks similar in body build and looks. And then, of course... The character played by Peter Jurassic just Peter Jurassic just kind of looks like Steve Landisberg. They kind of Landisberg it up a little bit with the glasses and the jacket, the curly and the hair. hair. Yeah, but the whole gag is then that this woman is essentially making eyes at Landisberg for like a minute straight, and like she's essentially like, "I'm gonna suck this dick right here, right now." You got Dietrich on one side, and you got Phil Hamill on the other side, and Arlene right there in the middle, and her just her head going side to side, and just looking at Dietrich as this fine slice of man. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, we have to go. We have to get out of here. So funny. Oh, my God. 
What a great gag. What a great gag. A really and truly like I think kind of inspired gag too. Cause like the the episode feels like it's building to some kind of big punchline. And that ends up being it. And the fact that it incorporates one of the characters of the show in kind of such a funny way, I think really works. And I think I I don't know. When this show hits, it really hits. And these three episodes I think have done a pretty good job of like firing on all cylinders. And look, even at what happens at the end. Harris goes, I'll come to your apartment. I'll stay with you, Landisburg. We'll see on the next episode. Is that a mistake? <laughs> Is that a mistake, ladies and gentlemen? The answer feels like it's probably going to be yes. One, this is the one. Luger is back in this episode. It's Luger. 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 Luger is here. Let's talk about that. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You people, ladies and gentlemen, we got a you people out of Luger. You got to going to shuffle on down there. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. I don't shuffle. You people always get, I forget what he says, you people always getting something, and then it's like, Ron Glass, ladies and gentlemen, just launches into a tirade, and tears James, poor little James Gregory apart. It's so needed, though. So appropriate that he does that. I mean, I remember when we first saw Luger, and he was just... Hey, Nick, what do you people do? You know, like just all that, all these people, the Polish persuasion, all that kind of stuff. It's like, Jesus Christ. Always making a crack about somebody's uh, denomination. Always, always. And again, I don't know if they were like, I, again, it's not like he was like, hey, you N or something like that. It was always like very metered, but it was not great. I'm glad that somebody took him to task for it. Me too. And Inspector Luger actually kind of apologizes, which I was glad for. And Harris is like, well, I was on edge, you know, trying to find this apartment and everything. But, you know, I don't think that he really backs down. Yeah, I thought it was good. And James Gregory gets a little uh, kick in the dick, which he deserved. Totally deserved. But at the end, I kind of like him better for it because he took his lumps. You know, he realized that he was wrong. I'm not a bad man, Bonnie. I'm not a bad man. Like, and then he talks about how he's going to shuffle off. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> got him. These SJWs with their political correct speech, they're trying to cancel Inspector Luger. Jeez. So woke. This Canceled show is James way Gregory. too woke. I mean, they allow gay people to be on screen. Uh, oh, they don't man. refer to women as broads like they did in Kolchak. That was the one thing in Kolchak that was just a bridge too far, brother man. Like, come on, Kolchak. We don't do that. They don't even do that in this show. Well, you know, we've we've grown quite a bit since 1973 and 74, I suppose. This is kind of the first, I would say, the first time the show has confronted the racism heads on. Like, head on. Which is good. Like I said, it's it's needed. So, Chris, overall, pretty solid batch of episodes. This season has been, dare I say, the best season we've watched so far. I think you're right. And yeah, we are... More than halfway through, there are 23 episodes in this uh, whole season, so 23 versus, I, I thought it was always like 22, but next year's 24 episodes, and then 22 after that, so it's kind of like the uh, the summer and solstice, you know, it could be the 21st, could be the 22nd, you don't know. But you know what I do know? The third episode in the next three that we're watching has a title that would not fly in this day and age, my oh, friend. Oh, boy. I don't even know how. I mean, it's the R word, folks. 
And it's not the one talking about someone's mental capacity. It's the one that's even, I guess it's just about as bad now. You can get demonetized on YouTube for it. Really? You can't say rape on YouTube? Nope. You can't say suicide either. Yeah, your ass will get demonetized immediately. So yeah, see, see, that's how far we've, that's how far we've kind of taken that. Yeah, there's an episode called Rape and Barney Miller, a comedic show, ostensibly comedic show. We talked with Richard recently and talked about the uh, rape episode of uh, All in the Family, one of the worst things that you could ever have experienced watching that. Oh, that was... Whoa, what? Oh, yeah. There's an episode where Edith gets raped, and it was just horrific. It Was it introduced as a very special episode it of... It probably was, but it might have been before very special episodes. It just really blindsides you and... It was back when TV would take on some bigger issues and really just hit you right between the eyes. Well, I'm expecting that that may be kind of where this is going. So, yeah, we'll see. But just fair warning, dear listener, if that is something that upsets you, that is the next episode. So just a heads up. Got to do we have to do our service as content creators in the 21st century. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next three. Also, there's a one about a ghost, so that could be fun. Remember that guy, Kenneth? Kenneth something. Kenneth Tigar. I think he'll be yeah, back Kenneth very Tegar. soon. Yeah, Kenneth Tigar. Yeah, I remember that. Maybe it's a werewolf. Now we have it. a werewolf. Now we're having a ghost. Who knows? So, Chris, what is happening over at the Culture Caster? So in July, our good friends Richard and Cullen are back, having programmed an entire month of Charles Bronson movies. Death Wish, I think, is the last movie that we're watching, but uh, everything else is things that I have... I mean, I've never seen any of them, which is... At this point, like, that's kind of the fun thing about my show is I have not seen any of these things at this point. Like, I like picking stuff, but most of the time, even when I pick stuff, it's like, it's not things that I've seen before, you know? So, Charles Bronson movies, all in July. Then we've also got things like The Shabby Detective, yet another Columbo podcast that's happening... We are still chugging along on Dreams for Sale, the Twilight Zone 85 podcast. Chris, you've got a few others that you're working on as well. Yeah, Scary Stories We Tell, which is a podcast about uh, spooky horror stuff. And then the Seagal podcast, because you got to have something to do in those downtime hours when you should be doing anything else. He's watching Steven Seagal movies. I mean, Jesus Christ. You're doing the Lord's work. I'm doing the work of somebody, but <laughs> the Lord that may not reign above, he may reign below. <laughs> 